At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habing, the CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo. We have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Today, we're going to be diving back into the topic of mental health and living through these past couple of years of what has become the COVID-19 pandemic. And hopefully it's not gonna be stretching anytime farther into 2022. I'd really hate to see a COVID-22 strain coming out, uh, but who knows what's gonna get hit with the headlines here anytime soon. So joining us to really talk about his experiences and, and how he was impacted on a personal level through his family and his trials and his tribulations and uh, during the pandemic and how he has come out the other end of that to really help people seek and get the help that they need when it was such a trying time on so many people when we lose out on social factors and, and we really took humanity out of our everyday life with our social interactions. So please welcome Joe Templin, author of Everyday Excellence. Joe, great to have you on the show. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. Chris, glad to be here finally. Now, I wanted to paint a picture that, you know, Joe isn't somebody who's coming in here and saying, hey, I have a great idea and, and everybody should be doing this. And if you follow my path and I'm going to tell you what to do, it's all going to be great. And you're going to be just a happier, healthier individual. Um, you were faced with some challenges here the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I'm just an average Joe. I mean, I've got three kids, two of which are special needs, you know, married and getting divorced because of the pandemic and during the pandemic. You know, I had multiple businesses that I was running. Most of them went to zero because they were in spaces where you, know, you sort of have to be at a conference to be a speaker at a conference. And so we've all been presented with these just massive changes. I mean, Ryan Holiday was pointing out that this is one of the first true times where we've had worldwide impact simultaneously from something where somebody in upstate New York or Houston, Texas, or Bangladesh is going through very similar situations and trials and tribulations at the moment. And I'm an experimentalist in a lot of ways in that I've just go and look and figure out, okay, what is going on? What's the root causes? What can I do about it? And what helps me? And so what, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is not necessarily coming from advanced literature or from a 50-year developmental program of experimentation, but it's things that I've discovered, hey, this has helped me and in interacting with some of my friends who have had situations. It has helped other individuals. So in the end, we all need to plot our own course to happiness. We all need to define success in our own way, but 
there are some concepts and tools that make sense that almost everybody can apply in their own unique situation to, at the end of the day, be better than they were previously. Now, I, I'm curious to see, you know, were all these problems that you see and, you know, you even shared some personal stories, you know, about, about a divorce happening because of the pandemic. Do a lot of people, were a lot of people hit with things that they just weren't facing before? And then when we get deeper and deeper into isolation, these things bubble to the surface and we just don't know how to handle them because we're now finally forced to take action and confront them. Yeah, we lost a lot of the support structure. So, kids, especially special needs kids, having two years of at best remote schooling on and off and then occasionally being in the classroom, they lost all the support structures, especially if you have somebody who's autistic and needs a regiment or somebody who's ADHD and needs a regiment. And all of a sudden they no longer can go to Cub Scouts. They no longer can go to Taekwondo and get that outlet of physical activity and the reinforcement. Suddenly ripping those things away you have these big disruptions. And with relationships, we saw a spike in divorce during the pandemic of about 40%. And there were two unique groups that really had it. It was the people who had been married under two years. So they got married and they haven't had the time to discover that their spouse snores or that they don't like certain things about their spouse, which generally you find out over time and you work through slowly. They didn't have the escape of being able to go to work. And so they were around each other 24 seven for this extended period. And they're looking at each other like, I don't really like you. I love you, but might not necessarily like you. So there was a huge spike there. And then the other spike was like me, that group that was married 20 plus years. And again, it's because suddenly we have the kids at home all the time and we've got no chance to escape. And we used work as an opportunity to blow off some steam or to be able to focus. Or we had these social connections that allowed us to be able to deal with some of the issues with our spouse. And all of a sudden that is removed. And so these two distinct groups had this massive spike. And we're going to be seeing further consequences of this for the next decade, maybe even an entire generation because of all these changes that we were all forced to go through. I think there's going to be a lot of consequences are going to be falling that we're going to look back and say, man, this was stupid. Why did we do this? I mean, anyway, from I, I'm a, I'm a guy with, with two young children um, and speech development is something that my wife and I talk about extensively. And when our daughter mm-hmm. who's a year and a half old right now is going to school and kids learn speech by looking at your lips. And when their teachers are all masked, what are they going to do? Like, how are they going to enunciate? What's going to go on? And, and really my heart goes out to those elementary age kids who are just gaining confidence in their ability to speak. But, you know, my point is looking back on this, I think there's going to be a lot of things that we look at and say, wow, in order to try to fight the virus the best way that we thought at that moment, right? Hindsight's always 2020. I get that. Mm-hmm. But at that moment in time, what we thought was actually the cure is going to be far worse than the actual disease itself. And there's going to be ripple effects all the way yeah. through. So I totally agree with you. And, and gosh, I mean, exponential. Yeah, well, you, I mean, you've probably seen the John Hopkins meta study of the effect where it's like 0.2% savings. And if you then look at the economic effects from like the International Monetary Fund and places like that, it's north of $10 trillion of economic impact. And it's going to be continuing forward for multiple years. Think about the kids who never got their prom, the athletes who never got to participate in their one shot at the Olympics, the, um, my dad, we had to reschedule his 80th birthday party. 
Some people never got their wedding. And it's just an entire generation that has had things ripped away. And going back to the kids, a little bit older than your kids, but think about the three and four-year-olds in the socialization aspects that they get from interacting with their peers that has been pulled away because kids need to be rough and tumble. They need to interact. They need to touch. You know, that is part of how they learn societal rules in a lot of ways and understand themselves. And if that is suddenly taken away or delayed by a couple of years, we're going to be studying this for a hundred years. Oh, absolutely. And what what I find fascinating about it is here, here we are, our world is contracting right? We really cut off socialization. We cut off family members. There's people out there that, like you said, you didn't celebrate their 80th birthday party. There's a lot of people out there who died in isolation alone. Very, very sad. But then we have technology here. And so there's so many people that looked at technology as a saving grace of humanity that, hey, I can now connect with Joe here on screen um, a million miles away. Isn't this really cool? Now we can have that interaction. But it just goes back to what I always think is, is integral, and you talked about it a little bit ago, that you need to have that physical touch. I don't care if you're the most integrated person in the world. There are times where you need to have energy coming from another person. And I think we find that virtual is just not a good substitute for it, medical it, care, it should for be, family, for love. It should be a supplement, women. not a substitute. Right. So if you can get on and do a telehealth with somebody for five minutes, that's better than nothing. If you need that little dose of somebody else at that moment, then take advantage of it. And I I started using Marco Polo recently with my best friend from high school because she found that it's a better way to do things. And so literally I get three or four one minute clips throughout the day from my best friend who lives down in Baltimore now and I'm up in Saratoga. So I don't even know the last time that I saw her face to face, but it helps capture some of that. Is it as good as sitting there and you know eating pizza and making fun of each other like we used to? No, but it gives us that opportunity where we can use it to get just enough. But if you're living on just enough, you're never going to have enough. You'll never reach abundance mentality. You'll never get everything that you need. And if you look at Chapman's five love languages, I mean, I'm very physical. I'm a touch is my number one and it's completely eliminated so that you're getting 20% ish of your population who is not getting what they need. And then when you start adding these other components in. So what I tell people is use the social media use the technology to add into things. So for example, up here where I am, we get nasty snowstorms. Okay. Instead of canceling your business for that day, tell your clients, if need be, we'll move to Zoom for that. And I've actually done that for since Zoom came on out. And before that, I was using teleconferences. So it allowed us to not have as great of a dip as other people potentially could, but going 100% in one direction ends up making it so that you're losing out on the other components. So you need to have a diversified set of ways of dealing with things, whether it's your business, whether it's your relationships, whether it's with your health, your mental health. So having a diverse tool set is actually very, very important. And you just do the best that you can with that. And that's one of the things that people coming out of the pandemic need to remember, do the best that you can. Do you feel that um, based on your experience, your speaking career, that the stigmatization of mental health and the ability for somebody to come out, raise their hand and say, I have a lot on my plate right now. I need some help. Do you think that 
that is something that is easier for people to say these days or harder? I think it's actually a lot easier and it's become better. It was actually getting better before the pandemic. So I did a talk for new college graduates in 2020 or actually 2019. And the graduating class of 2019 from college, 40% of them had sought assistance for anxiety or stress or mental disorders of some form. 40% had actually gone and seen somebody. And if you look at the estimates, at least another 20% had issues that they had not fully brought forward and hadn't seen anybody yet. So if you, we've got half of that cohort seeking help, essentially, even before the pandemic, and now we've got this attention, I think that the best upside or outtake from the pandemic is that it will not be stigmatized nearly as much and people will be willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that people will understand that it's not a one size fit all solution. We don't just give everybody drugs or tell everybody just go exercise or, you know, just go hug it out or whatever, that there's a multiplicity of issues. And as such, every single person should have a variety of ways that they deal with those issues and components within their own life. Yeah, I completely agree. Joe, give us a little bit of background here from your professional life and what kind of led you up until this moment. So my background going way back, my mom was a nun who became a college professor and my dad was army who ended up going into consulting. So I've got these two very driven individuals, a lot of love. I'm one of six kids. I'm the only normal one of the, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever met anybody who had a nun as a mom. I think that's the first time I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> that tells you a little bit about my background. So it's not exactly. <laughs> I, normal couldn't, I couldn't help it, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it gets better. It gets better. Trust me. <laughs> so I started college at 13 because my parents said 12 was too young to start college. I was at Hopkins. And then when I got done there, I went to RPI and I was an applied physicist and I did work for the government. So that's the reason why I was joking around beforehand about some of this stuff. Did that. Then I went into financial planning for years, then drift into economics, started consulting. I'm also a martial artist by background. You can see back here, I've got some of my awards. I was heavily asthmatic as a kid. In fact, I was dead when I was 10 years old from my asthma. And I ended up going on and winning an international championship. I've run marathons and ultra marathons, even though I hate running. I do it because I hate it. There's um, another sentence where you don't hear those words too often, but okay, there you go. <laughs> so it's I- paradoxical, right? Yes. And that's one of the things is that the entire universe is made up of paradoxes. I mean, Joan Jett says that life is fragile and tough at the same time. And so you need to have both these components. We need to be very strong, but we have to be able to admit when we're weak. We need to be tough, but we need to also be emotional. We need to be rational yet loving at the same time. And it's having this balance and knowing how to move along that spectrum back and forth as to what's appropriate and be able to pull other things out. So I've taken all these different backgrounds. I've written, I speak to individuals, I teach martial arts, which has really helped me as a business owner, but also as a writer, because 
it has helped clarify and give me more insight from pushing myself, whether it's doing an ultra marathon, whether it's being in the ring, fighting other individuals, whether it's taking care of a kid. So one of the things my father taught me was always look for the pearls of excellence, whether it's in a speech or it's in a lousy day, there's always one good thing that you can look to, to try and find there. And so looking for the pearls helps program your reticular activation system to find that silver lining. And that is one of the things that psychologists will tell you that if you can find some good in a situation, no matter what it is, you can be better off. I mean, Viktor Frankl was in the concentration camp talking about the beautiful rainbows that they saw and how everyone would stop and look at these for a couple of seconds. And here's a human being in the worst situation imaginable and being able to appreciate the beauty of a rainbow. So if he could do that and those people could do it, why can't we? Do you find the concept that, and I've heard this a lot, that, you know, kind of answering your question directly there is that human beings, it's a lot easier to come together focusing on the negatives and complain mm-hmm. about stuff rather than showing the positives. And you're like, wow, look at this jerk over here who's so happy. Why is he so friggin' happy? I guess my question is, Joe, is the optimism, is that counterintuitive? Is that, is that going against how we're all wired to come together? And I know well, that that's bringing in what we talked about before of how we we're are so an anxious and coming back together, but it's easier to complain about stuff than it is to <laughs> be that weirdo, you know, being uh, happy, happy, joy, joy. Can we do the dance? Just like <laughs> and Stimpy. But one of the things is that we need to actually look at what's known as the Stockdale paradox. Admiral Stockdale, when he was locked in the Hanoi Hilton, um, talked about it later on with Jim Collins. And we have to embrace the bitter truth, but never give up hope. And so what's happening is we either have people who are just pure Pollyanna and everything is, you know, rose tinted glasses and unicorns coming and bring you cupcakes and bags of money and all that. Or we've got the pessimists and life sucks. Everything's horrible and all this, as opposed to those who say life sucks, but we can make it better. I'm willing to do the work to get off the couch and stop eating the Cheetos so that I can run even a 5K or that my pants feel a little bit better. I'm not winded walking up the stairs. So it's understanding the world is not necessarily a wonderful place. I mean, guy, remember, we're all going to die. Let's start with that from a stoic point of view, memento mori. Okay, so we're all going to die. Nobody gets out alive. But what are we going to do in the interim? You know, we all have issues, but what are we going to do about what can I do to make today better for me? Or if not for me, how do I make somebody else's life better? Because that's one of the things that my mom, the nun taught me was if you're feeling bad, if you're having a bad day, go help somebody else. And this is one of the things that we teach our Cub Scouts, go do a good turn every day, go do something for somebody else And the biochemical change in your body is going to change your outlook. It's going to make you happier. It's going to make you healthier. It's going to reduce your stress, which therefore gives you all sorts of side benefits that help you out long range will help Mm -hmm. cure your body. There's all sorts of analysis on this. So instead of saying, ah, life sucks. Woe is me. All right. Life sucks, but I can do something to improve it for somebody. And if you compound that and take that attitude, you see more opportunities, whether it's business, personal relationships, other things. And so it's a change of attitude. And it takes time. It's not easy. Nothing in the world is easy and nothing that is easy is really worth it. But you can start changing the curve of your life 
with these micro decisions and it ends up having ripple effects for other individuals. Because if you smile at somebody, the mirror neurons in their brain start firing and they want to smile back. So you're both happier. And guess what? That person could turn around and smile at somebody else later in the day, which then comes back full circle around to you. Who knows? But at least give it the attempt to happen. Sure. No, I'm, I'm always that weird guy that walks by a stranger and says, Hey, how are you? And kind of look at him and say, why is this person talking to me? You know, that's always the role I played. And I just blame that on, you know, just uh, being a, a native Hoosier here in Indiana. It's just what we do. Yeah. I'm a small town kid. Right? We didn't, we didn't have a traffic light in my hometown until after I got out of grad school. It's on the corner next, you know, dirt roads, the one church, the town hall, the general you know everybody, store. everybody knows you. Yeah. <laughs> I yep. know your mother. Yep. Yep. I I knew your grandfather going back generations, right? What you were just saying there about acts of kindness, right? Have a little bit of empathy. And you mentioned social media before, and I'm one of those firm believers that social media is going to be the downfall of society. And I think we're already seeing that, right? There's a Mm -hmm. lot of just vitriol and easy access to people that it's not positive. I I would say the vast majority of social media is is just junk garbage. And frankly, it's just mean spirited. And it's almost like, how can I get a zinger in? Right. And, we see that and, and there's false we see expectations that everywhere around this because people are comparing their day to the best day that some Instagrammer has where they've taken 2000 snapshots to get this one really good one. And so people are comparing their it's all average to this. Yeah. And it, the Scottish psychologist Laird, when he talked about true self, false self and how people can put these layers around them. Dr. John Stolk and I are doing some research together on how if you take that and then you overlay that with how technology has changed things 200 years ago you didn't go more than 30 miles from where you were born for the most Mm -hmm. part if you were lucky you could read and so you'd get a newspaper occasionally you know then you had the civil war and we had these railroads coming on in so people could go to new towns and establish new identities then you forward it even further and we've got radio so people can hear about stuff going on around the world. And this is one of the things that in the TV show Madman, Don Draper actually recreates himself. That's not his name. He actually stole it. Spoiler alert. And it took somebody else's life because he could coming back from the Korean War. Now, with Instagram and all these other things, I mean, you can, with Snapchat, put on these filters and you can create these entire fake personas. You can have 10 different dating sites, even if you're married and you you have all these illusions. And so there's this fakeness that's out there. And what we really want is we want truth. We want realty. We want that core to be able to interact with somebody else. And social media can assist with that so that you can reach out and touch your best friend virtually and talk to him and be able to interact with him and keep it going. But it is allowed for all these layers of illusion and delusion to be created mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not going to be the downfall of society, but it's certainly not going to help, especially when we see a deterioration of the fundamentals of work ethic, professional pride, you know, all these other things. It's a compounding on that. And if you look at a multivariable equation, you have all sorts of bad things going on in. You're not necessarily going to get good things coming out. Right. I'll get off my soapbox now. No, I completely agree with you. And I think that was a that was one of the best ways that I've heard it verbalized is that so many people are just doing something because they think they're going to get more likes and they're they're pandering to an audience that they don't even know that has scary repercussions. And I think everybody can see that in their own lives, whether it's a relationship or, you know, just out of the past two years when someone's focused on 
so concerned about what other people are thinking about them that they forget to focus on what's actually going on in, in my life. And I say that to bring it back full circle from where we were before of you know, the mental health and all its different angles and all its different parameters. There's a lot of stuff out there that can be a distraction or the stuff that is just so zapping of our attention spans that you just find yourself pulled in a million different ways and not even know who you are anymore. Exactly. And so that's one of the most fundamental things is figuring out what's important to you. And so that's one of the reasons why I think martial arts should be taught in schools, because it helps kids with focus. It helps kids with ADHD. It helps people learn respect for others. It helps teach self-control. So these are fundamental skill sets that if they start applying them, they can develop meta skills off them to learn and understand themselves better and be able to interact with other individuals. And that leads to pure metacognitive functions, which long range will allow them to understand the difference between a good human being and a horrible human being and make the choices to move in the direction of good, whatever their definition happens to be. Tell us a little bit about your book, Everyday Excellence. Give us a little insight on what people can expect uh, and really why you decided to write it. So part of it was as a way of dealing with all the stuff going on. And part of it was I've been doing a lot of coaching, consulting with people and a lot people just come to me for advice for some reason. I don't know. I mean, I'm as screwed up as everybody else, <laughs> but I just give them an outside perspective and some usable tools. And so I just literally had a flash one day while I was working out in the morning that excellence is a habit and habits need to be built every day. So I came on upstairs, put down my elbow, came upstairs and started typing and had the basis of this. And so it's designed to be a multivitamin in that every single day you take your multivitamin. So you get what you need to be able to help yourself be physically stronger and develop, whether it's getting calcium so that your bones don't break, like I'm dealing with a broken leg right now if you're getting your vitamin D so that you can resist some of the other things that have been going on so that you get everything in one quick shot and then it's absorbed into your body throughout it. So everyday excellence, the book, it's got pretty cool color for damn did a really nice job on that. We start with a quote from somebody, whether it's Albert Einstein or Paul Anka or Ernest Hemingway or Tally Bwili or Jimi Hendrix, just to randomly choose a couple of them. So we have a quote, and then we have about a page, page and a half of analysis and discussion on it, where we look at all sorts of different parameters, whether it's your relationships, whether it's your communication skills, physical health, mental health, what's going on with work. And so it gives discussion and some ideas around all this. And then the big thing is that action is what is important. Words are weak, actions speak. So at the end of every day is a little action item, something that people can do to be able to help themselves out. So like, for example, the other day, the action item was write down 10 things you like about yourself. And so I did it myself every single day. I go through and read my own book. I'm like, oh, I wrote that. That's actually a good idea. Or that's dumb. Or, oh, this is hard. <laughs> so writing down 10 things that you like about yourself, the first three or four is always really easy. But then when you get out like seven and eight, you have to actually think. And that's part of the thing. And then if you do this in the morning, it changes your attitude. It changes your mindset. It changes your vision for the day a little bit. And so you're going to interact with other individuals and you're going to talk to yourself slightly differently. Mm -hmm. And that ends up giving you a slightly better day in some capacity. One day it might be work-related. One day it might be physical health. One day it might be relationship. 
But if every single day you're improving in some component of your life over weeks and months, you're going to literally change the curve of your life. And so this gives you a daily tool to be able to do that. It sounds very, very useful. And you've been kind enough to extend a uh, discount offer to Healthcare Americana listeners. Please share. So if they go to my website, which is everyday-excellence.com, if they want to get the ebook, if they use at checkout the code Healthcare Americana, they're going to get a 10% discount. Fantastic. Yeah, we appreciate that. And and once again, Joe, appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your personal struggles. And and that's why we thought, you know, it's such a powerful story when people who have lived their topics, people who've lived what they're talking about and can present it of, hey, when I was on rock bottom, this is what worked for me. It's not going to work for everybody, but here's some things that might apply and hopefully they can, they can help some people out there who are struggling. So once again, Joe Templin, author of Everyday Excellence. Joe, thanks again for coming on Healthcare Americana and talking to us today. Chris, thank you. And as I tell everyone, be excellent and grow today. I love it. I love it. All right. All the best luck to you. Once again, everybody, thank you for listening to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on healthcareamericana.com. Don't be afraid to use that contact form. We're always looking for fun ideas, fun guests, and any feedback that anybody has, uh, visit us on all our socials. Twitter is always a fun one uh, when we get messages there at Health Americana. Don't be a stranger. And thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.